We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now. What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX command simulated. Barcelona Podcast, episode 94, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks for tuning in. Again, you can tap in your app or check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13 for me. There's also a closed Facebook group you can look at as well. That's tvpod.link backslash group. That'll take you to our closed Facebook group, answer three short questions, and you're in there and in the Barcelona Podcast community. We're having plenty of conversations going on there. Well, all that said, speaking of social media, you might know we're on Twitter at Deanna Christine, and she is my co-host for the day. And Deanna, not only thanks for rejoining the show, but I'm lucky to have you today. We just finished watching France Belgium, and how'd you enjoy it? Uh, it was a pretty fun game. First of all, hi to everyone. It was a pretty fun game. Uh, I kind of wanted Belgium to win because I don't like the champ and I don't like to see him succeeding. But that's just me being petty. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm glad that Sam scored and he gets to celebrate that and get his team to the final. So that's nice. And after all that excitement of... Titi, our La Grande Pregunta today is about the guys who are already either finished playing, that being Paulinho with Brazil or Arthur, who wasn't in the Brazil squad at all. So that's our La Grande Pregunta today. Arthur in, Paulinho out. 
what does it mean for Barca's midfield as the midfield is really going to be our focus today, especially with the transfer news of the last week. And Deanna, I'll actually let you go first on which player do you want to profile first? Do you want to do Arthur coming in or do we want to do Paulinho heading out? I haven't really watched Arthur all that much, so I guess I'll first talk about uh, Paulinho because he, I mean, I was really confused last year when, he, when we bought him. I wasn't sure what that was meant to be. And he was, I, I wouldn't say good for us, but he was useful. I mean, he scored a couple of goals, even won us that three points at Hedafe. But overall, I feel like his contribution during the season decreased. Probably had to do some had something to do with the fact that he had been playing for like 18 months by that point or something. And um, I feel like Valverde also kind of lost trust in him. So I don't know if uh, he'll miss him that much, even as the uh, tactical player, like he used him. Right. I know Frances and I, at the time of the transfer, our, our opposition to it, if you will, was the fact that, well, at the time he was 29, and now he turns 30 in two weeks, and the age at which he was bought at 29 at the price of 40 million euros from China, you know, it's still a puzzling transfer, and it still would be a puzzling transfer no matter who the player is. But Barcelona clearly knew what they were buying and who they were buying. And it was a really pleasant sight to see that obviously he was not the same player that he was for Tottenham. He was great that he improved his game as much as he had in his late 20s. And we don't really see guys do that where they go from being a flop or not really having the necessary skills to play at a team like Barcelona. And then they go to China or they go someplace else where they're out of the spotlight and then they make those improvements. And again, it doesn't really happen in the late life of a footballer. But when you look at Paulinho, I know you and I differ a little bit, I think. I might be a little more up on him than you were in that the one year that he was there, as I said, I mean, he did really serve, as you did mention, he did serve a purpose. He never lost a La Liga match, 21 starts, 13 sub-appearances, almost 2,000 more minutes after playing a full season in China, the nine goals, two assists, almost 88% passing, and about one aerial duel, one per game, which means obviously he won the ball or back possession for Barcelona once in the air. But the Champions League, I think, is what not only people will remember him for in terms of his failings at Barcelona, but the Champions League was also where he struggled the most. And yes, he did work hard on defense, came back tirelessly, made important late runs into the box, helps forward and Messi with their spacing. But he never controlled games in ways that typical Barcelona midfielders are expected to do. And that different profile didn't really work when it came to the Champions League. Paulinho just never was able to, when it came to the times in the Champions League when Barcelona basically have to control, you know, 78 to 85 percent of possession, but they have to also be, you know, they have to have the killer instinct and put the ball in the back of the net. And while he did that in the Liga, he just wasn't able to do that when it really mattered in those important Champions League games. And unfortunately, uh, Diana, I, I think that's what people are going to remember. It's kind of weird because we went out without him playing, but um, I think that he never really fit us. I mean, regardless of how he played and how uh, the goals he scored and stuff, but he was never a good fit for our midfield because not only because of what we expect of our midfield, but because of how I mean how he plays. I mean, he is a good player, I'm not trying to disparage him, but there's a difference between being a good player and being a player that is made for a Barcelona midfield. So 
in that sense, there's a kind of difference that is between him and uh, Andre Gomez, because while I think that he doesn't have the talent to fit our midfield, he had the mentality to do the most with his chances. And Andre Gomez might have that talent, but his mentality and his uh, psychology just never allowed him to fully prosper at Barca. So I think that this is an interesting parallel between them and their careers here. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. As I said, when when Boltinho kind of came in, he was a finished product in the way that Andre Gomes, who you thought was a finished product leaving Valencia, clearly has either a lot left to develop, you know, again, still in his now mid-20s, but Polinio was what he's going to be now, and we saw him with Brazil at the World Cup, where that is the Polinio that Barcelona signed, and I mean, it, it looks like shady business in terms of selling him right back to the same team uh, in China that he came from for $10 million more after this year of a loan, so Barcelona won't get the money now, they'll get it next summer, but for for me, it's again, it's it's odd business, but it's business nonetheless. And if everything is up front and it it passes and ticks all the legal boxes, I guess it's fine that you got a ten million profit off one year of a loan from Paulinho. So I guess that's something you take. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories. Although my favorite one regarding this particular transfer is the fact that he was basically all loan for us to, to get him ready for the World Cup. Oh, yeah. See, I haven't heard that kind of thing. That, yeah, that he would go to Barcelona to get him in the spotlight. But, the, I mean, the interesting thing about that one is that he was already featuring in Brazil's starting 11. And if that were the case, then why would he play an entire another season without a stoppage at all? Why wouldn't he want to rest at all after the Chinese? But anyway, that's why they're conspiracy theories. There's not a lot of truth to them. <laughs> And now, we might not have seen much of Arthur this year, um, but there are a lot of reports on them, and I have actually been fortunate enough to have seen him in terms of just, again, on, on a little grainy screen as he's playing for Gremio in the Brazilian League. And the way he profiles is on the other end of the age spectrum for transfers. So it is really one Brazilian out, one Brazilian in, but they're not only entirely different players, they're also entirely different ages. Kool-Aid's wanted some youth, and they got it. He's 22 next month, and he's been in Gremio's first team since 2015, so he has had a bit more than a taste of first-team action. Barcelona paid 30 million plus 9 million euros for him, so he was even cheaper than Paulinho on both accounts. That said, the way he profiles, he isn't a goal scorer. He's a controller. You can see that when he plays for Gremio, a modern defensive midfielder in that Regista mold, so not, but not really a Busquets, but more... More, more like, I don't want to say Andre Pirlo, but the, the, the role or the space of the field that he occupies is what Andre Pirlo occupied those spaces. That's all I'll say. Their games, you can't really compare them just yet. Again, the guy's just 22, but the space they are on the field is similar to that of where Pirlo was and the, the responsibilities he has, if you will. And while he's not a finished product, I doubt he's expected to be, though, coming in. And he completed about 95% of his passes, scored one goal, one assist so far this season, seven appearances, small sample size. But that's about what he's been doing his career so far. And the question, I think, for me, obviously, he's not going to be in the starting 11. He's going to be nowhere near it, particularly getting in. Positive of that, he's coming over in the summer. So obviously, he's going to have time to integrate. And so it's a good move by Barcelona to bring him in now instead of in January. But I'm kind of wondering where he's going to fit in playing in front of Busquets or Rakitic, but I'm thinking rather, Diana, he's just going to be their substitute, and you're not going to really see a lot of him in year one, as we've seen Brazilians do take some time to assimilate. 
Yeah, given that this is his first move to Europe, I don't expect really much of him at first. And as I said, I really haven't watched a lot of him, so I can't really comment on his quality. But from what I have read, his profile does fit our midfield better. He is a technical player. He is a in the mold of a Barca midfielder. Now, if that comes true and he, if he ends up actually doing well for us, is another story because as we've seen with other transfers, that doesn't always work out as you would imagine it at first. In the big picture with Arthur and the decision now Valverde has to do, there are a whole lot of players in that midfield. And while we have had a lot of Leronda questions that we're not going to get to, so just, just to disparage some of the people who've been asking whether it's Diago Alcantara or Rebio in for PSG, there's a lot of high-profile midfielders that Barcelona is now being linked with by, again, different tabloids or maybe even some respectable sources. But that said, you look at the roster, it's Busquets, it's Rakitic, Coutinho, is he going to play in the midfield in that same role he played for Brazil? Denise Suarez, Andre Gomes is still around. Rafinha is back, by the way. Looks to be on his way back out, but who knows about that? Alenia, when he recovers, he should be back right around November, December, if all goes well. Any Barca player, B players, as Oro Busquets, who's also recovering from an injury, and Ricky Pooch, who Valverde has said that both are on his radar to possibly make some first-team appearances on the bench, at least. And Sergi Samper is also still walking around the Camp Nou in his recovery, and we don't know if he's going to be sent out just yet on either loan or sold. But anyway, if all those guys remain, that is a whole lot of players, and you'd think Busquets, Rakitic, and maybe Coutinho, those are your starters. And then you have Arthur, Denise Suarez, Gomes, Rafinha, Alenia, Oral Busquets, Pooch, Samper... You have a lot of players for now a few spots. And again, we expect a few to go out. But how do you figure this is going to work out as far as the guys that already might try to off his bench, how he's going to divvy up some of those minutes? I don't really see uh, Rafinha or Samper sticking around. Uh, but otherwise, I think that uh, right now, Busquets, uh, Rakitic, and uh, Coutinho are our starters. Uh, as for the other players, I think that even Sergio Roberto could be moved in midfield. I mean, I saw some rumors about that, and I think that he could do well. But um, I don't know. I mean, I feel I feel kind of the same way as I did last year about Barca's midfield, uh, in the sense that there are a lot of names, but not a whole lot of players that I would trust play so I don't really know how that's gonna work out because there's I feel like there's a big difference between the your starting midfield and yourselves and I think that this is the problem we've been having because once someone gets injured we have no very reliable backups so I think that this is something that will continue unless Arthur has a meteoric season and proves me wrong, obviously. It seems like, too, I mean, obviously, you're, you're even more ingrained in, into what's called Barca Twitter than I am. And I can't tell whether or not the Sergio Roberto moving to the midfield is just the narrative being created by, you know, people on social media. Or is this something that the club may actually be taking a long look at? with Paulinho's minutes almost like for like going to Sergio Roberto, and then you'd expect that Andre Gomes 
and and his minutes would go to either Arthur or Lenya, and so that's how they would basically just replace like for like minutes with Sergio Roberto, and even able to be deputizing at right back, but basically being the backup right back in case Nelson Semedo is unavailable, but largely being in the midfield. And Diana, do you think that this is this could be? club inspired or this could be something that the club is seriously going to be looking at or do you think this is just again social media and the masses creating this narrative uh i don't know if it's a, a social media narrative i know that i saw a rumor about the meeting that well that they have with abdal and Segura or something and that they said to him that uh, their plan is to buy a right back and a backup right back as it were and move Sergio Roberto into midfield permanently. Obviously I don't know if this would happen. I don't think that this should be I mean, I don't know, I, there are just like last summer I don't really see any great right backs that we should, you know, get go head in for. So I think that this could be a thing, but I don't know if that's going to work out. But like you said, I think that uh, Sergio Roberto could do well with uh, Paulinho's minutes. And he is also a very intelligent player who knows how to position himself and who knows uh, who likes making those runs in the box, and he could be useful. Yeah, I completely agree with you uh, about the, the right pack situation, particularly on the market. And what it's seen, it seems like with Eric Albidel coming in, that they, he's, he has an eye on the French League, Lyon, and that's where he would look for either, we've heard left back even more so than right back. And this is that moment, though, when you talk about the left back situation, Juan Miranda is either has already signed his extension by the point that we're recording this, or he's just about to put pen to paper, as a lot of the Barca B players are. And interestingly enough today, and this is a prompt by question from James Goulet, that the right back that I'm really high on, Matteo Mori, since he was like 15 years old, has been very, very high in in the academy on the depth charts. And he was just at the Mediterranean Games playing with Abel Ruiz. And those two working, not only, you saw them work with one at right back, one at center striker, and yet they were able to combine well. And he seems to be very lively. And for me, he's about a year away, and he's not going to be signing an extension this summer. His contract is up next year and that's when it seems like they want to extend him which is a puzzling thing on the surface but it seems like they got a large majority of these Barca B players to re-sign so that is something that seems to be shored up and we'll have to see if that actually works out with making that final transition and we'll have to see how many of those young players whether it's Pooch or Callado actually get some not even moments on the bench but moments on the field for the first team well we've actually already kind of started La Ronda, where we've already had questions, whether it's from Soham or Christopher, that we are kind of answering on the fly. So let's be a little more precise. And again, we're not going to get everybody's thank you for all the questions, whether it's on Twitter or in the close Facebook group. We're going to try to answer as many as we can. And again, I'll try to just pick out the most interesting one. And after this French game, Diana, we're going to switch a little bit to a player who's on the first team and we know what he's capable of. Siddharth asks, Mtiti has had a downward spiral form since January. And then I'll phrase it as a question, where does his future lie? And, well, we just watched that game against Belgium, and there were reports, Diana, that Umtiti has been dealing with some injury issues throughout the World Cup. And, you know, I've been critical of, if you want to check out on Barcelona blog, I've kind of been updating as each round goes on. And I've been a little critical of him. Varane has out, outshone him in most of the games they've had, yet he was pretty good against Belgium, helped not only close that out defensively, seemed to be the last man 
working alongside Paul Pogba in the air, as well as, of course, getting that really, really important header goal that sent him to the next round. And for me, Umtiti is a big game player, and he continues to be just that. And he's a guy that I trust even more so when it comes to May than it than it is at the beginning of the season or in friendlies or when things don't matter. Yeah, I have no doubt about Umtiti's future. I think that he is very good and that he will continue to be so for us. And I think that he has not fully recovered. I mean, not in the sense that he's not fit, because I don't know about that. I have seen a rumor about that, but I wouldn't put uh, my total faith in it. But he hasn't gotten back to the form that he had before his injury. But you know, there's a, there's a classic uh, cliche of uh, form is uh, temporary, class is permanent. So that's definitely where I stand with him. I have no doubts about his future. Right, and that's kind of what Luis Suarez and Umtiti were last year. I mean, you and I watched basically week in and week out, so they almost hand off the baton, where Umtiti started the first half of the year, was in unbelievable form, and then kind of handed off the baton to Luis Suarez, who was in awful form at the beginning of the year, then he kind of got things going, and that, that is how it is on the season. And the way that Alverde and these managers that are going to be in Champions League fighting for those league titles, you have to have your players clicking at their best at the end of the year, and unfortunately... TT, whether it was injury that he wasn't discussing or whatever, but whatever have you, he just didn't wasn't at his best when the end of the season came, and neither was PK, and so that made the defense look well, where for the worth, if you will, while Ter Stegen was basically in fine form from start to finish. Well, moving back to hypotheticals and players who come back, Douglas asks if he has a good preseason, do you think the club will keep Munir as the backup winger or striker? And this is a really interesting one, though, Diana, as well, because, again, Barca Twitter is, is passionately, exuberantly, they would like a new number nine. They would like another forward up top. We have Dembele out on the wing. Coutinho, of course, can also play the wing, as Denis Suarez could back up there as well. And with all those different options, Munir, though, had played as that target forward out on loan for Alaves all of last year, and he banged in some goals, was pretty good, and I think he really did put up backup striker numbers, but here comes the issue that he had the first time around when he's not playing a lot, like we're seeing Paco Alcatere. If those goal scorers go weeks without getting on the field or getting more than 10 minutes at a shot, they do suffer for form, and do you find that Munir is one of those kind of guys that could just inject energy for 10 minutes and maybe get a result in a way that Dem- you do trust that in six minutes Dembele is going to run the defense ragged and potentially create a number of chances? Is Munir really that kind of player? I don't know if he is that kind of player. I think that in the time that we had him in the first team and used him as such, he was too young and too raw to have that kind of impact. But I think that now, after his loan, uh, he is a more mature player. And I was in the summer of 2016 when we sent him out on loan first. I was really upset with that because I thought that that was the summer of his breakthrough. He had been great throughout the preseason and looked like he was about to click and make it all work. And I was really upset about the whole thing with him and Alcacer because I thought that. You know, that should have been his spot and he, we should have kept him. But, I'm, I mean, I, would, I, I love the kid and I've been a huge fan of his. So, I would love for him to stay and help us and potentially, you know, 
I feel like right now we need a player that will fill in the gap between Suarez and Abel Ruiz because I think that Abel Ruiz is going to be a world beater and uh, yeah maybe Fournier could be that I don't know well let's go from the front line and head all the way back to the goalkeeping situation and Debbie's asked is there an update on Sillison's situation? And we've seen that Jasper Sillison throughout the World Cup had been in Barcelona. It seems like this is even coming from people who know it in the club that he is wanting to head out and Barcelona are just waiting for a large enough bid to give away his services. And when it comes to the goalkeeping situation, Diana, I think, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I would like to at least keep him for about another year. Anaki Pena is being promoted up from the Barca B. He's the Spanish youth national goalkeeper in that age group, as he has been all the way since, again, the time he was 14, 15. He seems to be a guy in Anaki Pena who, while at the Mediterranean Games, if that was just your sample size, he did give in a lot of goals. Same thing with the Under-20 World Cup. Spain did leak a lot of goals, but they also won those matches. So he is that prototypical Barca goalkeeper who can play with his feet who has again the short passing the long passing he has the profile he just needs to work on some of the the mechanics and when it comes to working with Ter Sagan or backing him up he's a guy that I think next season after a year at Barca B as a starter could be the backup but he's just not ready obviously this year this is his first year and I don't know if I trust Ortolo who's going to be out of the club as well so that leaves really no backup options. And when it comes to goalkeeper, as we saw, even with, with Man City in that first year when they took Claudio Bravo, I think it was, what, 2014, 2015, that first year when then Bravo was a starter, the second that that kind of guy goes down or loses form to a point when you can't start him as a goalkeeper, if you don't have a competent backup, everything gets thrown haywire. And so I think for Sillison, there has to be some kind of gap to be bridged, unfortunately. But again, I think the uh, the easy counter argument you can make is that if Silson gets a high enough bid, if, if say a Premier League club says we'll give you 35, 40 million euro for Silson, you have to take that deal, right? Yeah, I I think that I think that Silson is probably the best. I mean, we had Ter Stegen who was. You could say a backup because he didn't play the league. So we've been very fortunate with the goalkeeping duo during these last, I don't know what has it been, four years. So I completely trust him to come in for Ter Stegen whenever he's called on. But I think that I also understand uh, why he would want to go elsewhere and be the starter. I don't know if Barca should take a bid on him, given the fact that, as you said, you need a reliable goalkeeping backup. And um, I don't know where we would get another one right now. Right, and the later it goes on, the transfer window, the harder that becomes. Well, Deanna, I've been trying to stay away from the sensational transfer news, but we're going to do a one big umbrella one and include a lot of different questions. And this one will say is prompted by Sean. The cover of the Catalan media source, Diario Sport, which, again, the credibility, <laughs> I don't know if I want to give it, what, 70-30? Diana, how, how often do you trust Diario Sport? But they claim that the Barca board is going full force for Eden Hazard, who, again, we just watched get knocked out of the World Cup by France. And I think the bigger picture here isn't even about Eden Hazard. It's that, as just was announced a few hours ago, 
Cristiano Ronaldo. Again, we don't talk about Real Madrid, but when you talk about competition in La Liga, Barcelona know that they're going to be facing Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and improve Valencia. So any major transfer that happens with those other teams, in a sense, does impact Barcelona. And while it may not impact in the Champions League, it does impact the kind of players that are available for them, the kind of other superstars that they might want to go for. So Real Madrid is now going to be looking at, with, with Ronaldo heading to Juventus, they're going to be looking at 100 million euro plus in their bank account. And I think the question then begins is who are they going to go for? And obviously they have the money to sign at this point, almost whoever they want, sign the Barcelona player. So do Barca have to answer with another superstar? Because my thinking is that they did their big superstar spending last summer in Coutinho and Dembele. And, you know, this will tie into our final question that we're not going to ask now about the formation. But the big picture here is who does Real Madrid go for? And should that affect Barcelona trying to see it if they have some options and whether or not they want to spend money they, they could garner from Gomes and Paulinho and all these other transfers? Yeah, I never really go for that galactical model of, you know, just buying a star for the sake of it. I think that while I agree that we would need an extra body or something in attack because both, I mean, this is painful because you know, his Leo, but both Messi and Suarez are now 31 years old. And, you know, I mean, I trust Dembele to have a better, I mean, it would be ridiculous for him not to have a better season given his last, but I trust Dembele and I think that we could need another spark in attack. But I don't know if that's what we should focus on. I think that getting, you know, like, better midfielders and stuff would be my priority right now. And I I don't think that we need to answer Madrid with anything because, as you said, we did our big spending already last year and I, I'm not sure that we could really even afford it anymore. So if the team and the squad looks basically, you know, 95% finished, I guess we'll say, with potentially more guys heading out, and maybe one coming back in, whether it's no matter where it is on the it could even be a backup goalkeeper, if you will. With all that said, Xaviology asks, what do you expect from Arthur next season, which we already answered, but how would that also affect Valverde's 4-4-2? And I guess let's change this a little bit, not just Arthur, but I've been asking each of our guests as Frances has continued to be away, what's your ideal formation next year? Diana, do you go with a 4-3-3 with Messi, Suarez, Dembele up top and Coutinho playing where he played pretty exceptionally for Brazil in the World Cup as that interior on the left where Iniesta is, is now vacated? Though Iniesta last year played in that 4-4-2 out on the left wing where Coutinho looks also to be comfortable. And I think as, you know, as, as we've kind of been going through with the guests, the question that persists is, where does Coutinho go, and how does that affect the formation? I think that's kind of the question for the starting 11. But also, do Busquets and Rakitic continue to play as two defensive midfielders in a 4-4-2? That seems to be the way that the world is going. And if you look even at the World Cup, the teams that had success and consistency with those who were playing more in a 4-4-2 or those who were playing with that counterattacking and then the counterpress to the counterattack. That seemed to be the, the style going on right now, but that's never been Barcelona style. So how do you see that formation? And I'll even put you on the spot and say, who is our starting 11 at the start of next year's La Liga campaign? Uh, yeah, so from last year's starting 11 as 
be to basically replace Iniesta with Coutinho and play Dembele up top in a 4-3-3. I think that, as I said earlier, both Messi and Suarez being over 31 now means that you need to have another spark in attack. You need to have someone that would that will run, that will make the counter-attacks work, that will add some creativity on the wings and some flash. Because while they both are excellent and, uh, and reliable, I think that you just need something more besides them. You know, not that Leo can be upstage or anything, but you need to add a bit more spark there. As we saw last year, the 4-4-2 uh, with them two up top is a bit limited because neither of them can really run a counter-attack or have a lot of, you know, uh, space to cover anymore, so that's an issue. Regardless of how much possession you have, let's remember that in 2015, some of our best goals were just basically Messi, Neymar, and Suarez running with the ball from the midfield line or even deeper. And um, we, I don't see us being able to do that anymore. And without playing Dembele. So I think that he really should be a starter. And uh, yeah, so that would basically be my starting 11. The problem with that is that I still don't know if I fully trust Coutinho as an interior for Barca. And that this, uh, unless you play Dembele as a left winger, that means that the starting 11 is a bit lopsided as Messi also tends to fall to the right side. Yeah, that's certainly correct. And, and so that does put an onus on the left side. And let's say you don't have Jordi Alba in the lineup that day. And if Lucas Digne is the one that stays at the club, that is a whole lot of responsibility that we've seen that Lucas Digne can't really handle if it's even against other La Liga op- opponents when he has to deal and, and work with that much space in the ways that Jordi Alba, using his superior speed and his technical awareness, does a really good job of doing. And we all want to thank both Henry and Padilla, as well as some others, for inspiring, you know, the, again, the mismatch of questions as I try to combine multiple questions. we got so many good ones this week. But the last one I'm going to ask you, Diana, before I let you go. Now, of course, one of your nicknames is the Queen of Barca Twitter. For you, what I, I guess let me translate another question. You see so many, especially in the summertime, so many sensational rumors that we've seen Coutinho and Luis Suarez are being wanted by PSG. Or can Barcelona, when they, if they go and they want to sell Luis Suarez to PSG, can they get Kylian Mbappe plus $100 million back? It just There's a lot of sensational stuff. But how is it that, and I talked about this last week about Langlet, who that deal seems to be on the finish line. It's not yet done at the time of recording, but again, seems that Barcelona will be paying that release clause and wrapping him up quite soon to reinforce the center of the defense. But when it comes to deals like that, and the club is still silent about it, what not only what sources do you trust, but at what point do you put credence in some of these rumors? My starting position is basically to trust no one. <laughs> so that's where yeah. I <laughs> uh, when I I generally try to ignore all the rumors for as long as I can. I mean, I 
that kind that tends to you know buy me sometimes because I never really believed that Neymar would leave, for example. So that was a big shock for me and a big adjustment. But um, yeah, uh, I generally trust you know like Gerard Romero. I think I think the problem is that as we saw with the Griezmann debacle, the problem is that some that most of the sources that are around Barca only rely on the club to leave them information. And as we saw with Griezmann, the club was saying, oh no, it's all good, it's all fine. So that's what they were repeating. But none of them actually bothered to, you know, like double check, go and, you know, try to find some people that are connected to Griezmann and find out what was happening with him. They just put their trust in what the club was saying. So that's why I don't trust them because the club will always want to leak good stuff and not bad ones. So I can't really put any credence if it's all rosy and sunshine and we'll got get all the deals done and everything. I think that I mean there's as I said there's Gerard Romero, there's uh Chavi Campos, uh Jordi Costa, there's a couple not a lot of uh people from radio, from Catalonia Radio and from Rahu, who I trust, but not even them because, as I said, most people get their info from the, from the club and the club is interesting, interested in selling an ideal picture. And I would even add to that that for those who are only on English-speaking Barcelona Twitter and only can see the English sources, I will tell you that if it's being reported for the first time in English, there's a 99% chance it is not true. Would you agree with that, Diana? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you have to, you know, have people on the ground, and uh, that's harder to do when you're not in the city in the first place. So, yeah, I think that, as I said, the Catalan journalists are always uh, closer to the information, but. You know, there's also the journalists that are from a player's country or have a connection to the player or, you know, there's stuff like this that isn't always obvious, but sometimes that can be more reliable than the journalists that cover Barca all the time. Yeah, that's very true as well. As when you talk about the entourage and in the world of social media, as we even saw the World Cup, sometimes lamps will be leaked. We've seen even a lineup leaked by one of the players, you know, we'll say it, friends and families and influencers, and sometimes that's how things get out with the individual, uh, I, I don't want to use the word posse, but their individual um, friends and groups and, and their inner circles. Um, and, and while I did say that, yes, it should be reported, I also want to give credit to, there, there are guys like the Sam Marsden out there on Twitter doing really great work in, in English who do speak in both. And we also had Rick Sharma on the show as well, coming to us from Barcelona. So those guys are English-speaking, and they are guys that you would trust as well. So it's not all English-speaking journalists, and sometimes they can be first to it. But anyway, Diana, you and I are always reactive. You do a great job on Twitter just being realistic, logical, and you are a regular guest on the Barcelona podcast where you always bring not only the best takes, but some of the hottest ones we have as well. So again, thanks so much for joining the show, Diana. You can remind people where to find you on Twitter. Yeah, so it's at Diana Christine with a K and two N's, and I'm kind of always around, even if I'm not active or something, I will see eventually if you try to contact me. But I 
might be taking my customary summer Twitter break after the World Cup is done because then it's all just rumors and speculations and stuff and I can't really be a part of that. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but it's definitely a possibility in the next month or so. <laughs> so you go on vacation, Frances is going on a prolonged vacation, it's just everyone's going on vacation soon, but Barcelona Podcast will be back next week in your ears, we're not going on vacation just yet. So again, thanks for Diana for joining us for all the questions, again, I really appreciate the sheer number of questions that we got, I hope we answered a lot of them, even if we didn't mention it was your particular question, into the show and integrate it that way, of course, again, we like if you can go on Patreon to help us out with the show, iTunes, leave a review, five stars is always great and give us some feedback for the show. Again, thanks everyone for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca. Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.